When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Biden lost a lot of goodwill. He lost a lot of the trust that was given to him at the outset of this year. The Democratic Party can't find its way back to the JFK days because it's so far over to the left. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. People generally don't have a favorable view of Congress, but they do of their own congressmen. It's got to be something that all 50 senators, every single 50 senator can support. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The slow drip of news continues on Capitol Hill as lawmakers in the House crawl their way to raise the debt ceiling and avoid a possible default. This hour, we look across the valley to see what lies ahead with another fiscal cliff looming and big decisions to be made on infrastructure and reconciliation. We'll get the latest from Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick who's on the Hill right now. We'll talk about the tricky path ahead for Democrats and the overall Biden agenda as well with Greg Valliere, U.S. policy strategist at AGF Investments. And later we'll fast forward to the midterms with Bloomberg Businessweek national correspondent Josh Green to talk about his reporting on the risks for what he calls a 2022 bloodbath, at least the chance for one. The panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano and Amy Tarkanian, former chair of the Nevada State GOP, with us for the hour. Very busy post-market session, obviously underway. It's finally about to happen as well on Capitol Hill. Let's add another. Lawmakers in the House are going to raise the roof on the debt, or so is the expectation with a vote on legislation to lift the debt ceiling through the beginning of December, as we've been discussing since the end of last week. Now it finally happens in the House, ending a weeks-long saga in which Democrats tried to get Republicans on board. And eventually, of course, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell did just that. Not again, though, he says. Congressman Jim McGovern, Democrat from Massachusetts, chairs the Rules Committee in the center of all this today as they prepare to bring it to the floor says he thinks Republicans should be more honest about paying off debt from the Trump administration. Let's understand this. We are paying Donald Trump's bills. Uh, If you don't want to pay the bills, you shouldn't have voted for the things uh, that caused this debt to begin with. Republican Congressman Michael Burgess also serves on the Rules Committee from Texas, was in the same markup session. And you probably will not be surprised to hear he sees things differently. I don't know. Watching this weekend and looking at the panoply of manufactured crises that have come about because of the actions taken by by this administration. I mean, the border with my state and a major country and ally, Mexico, is in shambles. 
And so it will not come as a shock to learn that Democrats are preparing for a mostly party-line vote, even though it looks like only about half the House decided to show up here. Let's get the latest from Capitol Hill right now. Bloomberg government Congress reporter and friend of Sound On, Jack Fitzpatrick, is with us as we speak. Jack, I hear this is a big day for proxy voting. Yes, uh, there, there are going to be a number of, uh, of proxy votes cast today because they're supposed to be out of session. I don't have a final count of exactly how many people are in and, and voting on behalf of someone, but they're using the process set up for the pandemic so that one member can vote for uh, at least a few other members who aren't here. And of course, they, they didn't want to be in town in the first place for this. They cut it that close. So this is going to be not only probably around a party line vote, but a, a pretty almost empty chamber compared to normal votes here. And it's going to be easy for Democrats to do this, or are they actually whipping votes this afternoon? Uh, well, it's the it's the leadership position that they should support this. I don't know how hard they're whipping votes, but it, you know it it could end up being close. The, they voted in the House on their Democratic proposal for a longer suspension of the debt li- debt limit, and it was almost exactly party line. And of course, that is a close vote. They lost two Democrats on that one, two moderates, and got one moderate Republican, Adam Kinzinger. Uh, so I, if, if that's uh, sort of an indication of how this is going to go, it's going to be a close vote, but probably pretty predictable because it's going to be close to party line. I haven't heard anybody panicking that this isn't going to go through, but given the narrow majority, uh, it, it won't be a, a total blowout. And then, Jack, lawmakers, at least those who came to Washington, go home for a while, hear from constituents. What kind of negotiations are going to be underway in either dealing with a long-term fix here on the debt or, or getting into infrastructure and reconciliation? Well, on the debt limit, uh, very few negotiations, it seems. Uh, the Democrats are still saying they don't want to do what Republicans told them to do, which is address the debt limit through reconciliation, because that's a, sort of a, a long and painful process that leads to a voterama in the Senate with unlimited amendments. Uh, so they're they're looking for alternatives. But, you know, the, the underlying issue that led to this standoff is still there. And it could be a tough one in December because there isn't really substantive negotiation on infrastructure and the main reconciliation bill. It's really still a lot of Democrats looking to a couple moderate senators, uh, Senators Manchin and Cinema, wanting them to be a little more forthcoming and a little more flexible about where they could give and where they could meet other Democrats in the middle. But obviously, that's been a, a slow and painful process as well. Uh, so that's a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff that's coming with, with yeah. progressives uh, every now and then showing some frustration with the moderates. Great reporting, as always, from Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg Government Congress reporter. We do appreciate it, Jack. We'll let you get back to it. This is the man who's going to be writing this up as it happens, the first draft of history, as they say. And we want to bring in Greg Valliere, U.S. policy strategist at AGF Investments. Welcome back, Greg. It's great to have you. What what options do Democrats have, before we move on to the bigger stuff, in dealing with the debt ceiling long term? Or is this something that simply gets kicked down the road again? We'll be having this conversation in a year. I'm not sure. Nice to be with you. I'm not sure that it's going to be just a quick fix. I think it could be for a longer period of time. Most members, uh, most Democrats, certainly want to have this extended through the 2022 election. So what they have to do, and I, I thought Jack did a great job in setting this up, what the Democrats have to do is come up with a proposal 
with the reconciliation process. It's very arcane. People's eyes glaze over when we start talking about this. But if they can put this into a budget reconciliation bill, yep. maybe with some infrastructure stuff, it could, it could go for a year or so before we have to deal with this again. Well, we live for talking infrastructure and reconciliation around here, uh, Greg. You know that. So if we, that we're talking about the same bill, though, right? Not everyone seems to be on the same page uh, on this. Did the parliamentarian give Democrats a path to do a separate reconciliation bill just for, for the debt ceiling for government spending? Or do you see that all being roped into the same big plan? I see it all being roped into the same big plan. And, you know, when you look at the infrastructure stuff, the, the, the first bill, one or so trillion dollars, most people agree on. Mitch McConnell voted for it. It's for highways, bridges, dams, water, Wi-Fi, stuff like that. The second bill obviously gets an enormous haircut. It goes from $3.5 trillion down to, I don't know, maybe a little under 2 I think that can make it as well. If those two can make it, I think in a big reconciliation bill, they'll throw in the debt ceiling as well. All right, so let's talk about that haircut. Uh, reality appears to be sinking in when it comes to the, we'll call it the soft infrastructure bill. The reconciliation plan has been held up by the likes of Senators Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, neither of whom will accept a price tag, as we've discussed many times, of $3.5 trillion. Greg just alluded to that. Speaker Nancy Pelosi talked about it today. The fact is, is that if there is are fewer dollars to spend, there are choices to be made. And mem members have said, let's get the results that we need. But we will not diminish the transformative nature of what it is. Kind of acknowledging the debate that we've all been hearing about for a pretty long time here, Greg. I was in that briefing today with the speaker, and the, the, the big topic was the letter. The speaker telling her Democratic membership in a letter coming off the weekend that it's time to make some tough decisions she said her members are giving her guidance greg that they prefer doing fewer things well that seems like an awfully important line as we try to figure out whether they're going to shrink spending on everything shorten the timeline or actually start removing limbs here and giving up on certain policies that were supposed to go inside this bill I think it's the latter, Joe. I think yeah. they acknowledge that they've got to make some significant cuts. At some point, you will get Joe Manchin on board and you'll get Kirsten Cinema on board. It'll be for a lot less money, but I think they will agree. It, now, what if I'm wrong? What if, what if this thing totally falls apart in yep. early December? I still don't think the U.S. will default. I think the Federal Reserve will do whatever it takes to keep a U.S. Uh, Treasury paper uh, whole. Uh, it'll be messy, but I think that uh, Wall Street and business and the Fed will all come together and insist that we get something done. I don't see default. This is going to be a creeping up on the holidays, yep. end of calendar year. Everyone's freaking out. All the stories are about the fiscal cliff kind of situation, though. No? Yeah, they, they seem to ruin everyone's holidays with great well, regularity. Right. <laughs> and we're going to see that again. I think this could drag on. You know, we, we haven't even talked much about the threat of a government shutdown. I mean, that yeah. was continued until, I think, December 3rd. Still got to deal with that. Still got to deal with infrastructure and, of course, the debt ceiling. So this could come right up to Christmas Eve. So is it possible Democrats get Republicans to play along with, with a clean government funding bill, at least keep that out of the, the mix here? Yes. 
I think there's a good chance that they can get that. The, the, the debt ceiling is tougher, obviously, because McConnell and all of the Republicans will not raise it again, and I take him at his word on that. So it's going to have to be through this reconciliation process. The Democrats don't like it, but I don't think they have many options. Here's the big question for me, then, to wrap this up. We'll throw this at the panel coming up, Greg Valliere. If this does not come in at three and a half, let's say it's 2.2, I'm just throwing a dart. Do Democrats still raise all the taxes they plan to anyway, or does that actually shrink the tax hikes potentially uh, for Americans in the next several years? That's a great, great point. And I think that you probably only need about 1.5, 1.6 in higher taxes. You can get that. Maybe they leave the controversial stuff alone, the estate tax, you know, stock buyback. There's a lot of controversial things going after the very wealthy. And they do a, a small corporate tax hike, a small individual tax hike. Yeah. I think that one of the stories least publicized is the likelihood that the tax hit will be less onerous than we all thought a few months ago. This is why people listen to Bloomberg Radio. Greg Valliere, we appreciate it. U.S. policy strategist at AGF Investments has been through a few of these. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So will it be the incredible shrinking reconciliation plan? As we just discussed with Greg Valliere, that could also mean shrinking tax hikes. Or will it? That's why we have the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano with us today. And Amy Tarkanian, Republican strategist, former chair of the Nevada State GOP, with us for the hour. Welcome to both of you. Jeannie, uh, what do you make of this letter we're talking about from Speaker Nancy Pelosi to the members? Effectively a warning uh, to her, her caucus. This will be smaller than many of you probably wanted. And her members, she says, are giving her guidance to do fewer things well. So, Jeannie, what gets left on the cutting room floor? Well, I think that's the thousand dollar question. And, you know, you know, from my perspective, it is the moderates who would like to do fewer things and do them well. Between that and what you were just discussing with Greg about the fact that we will see fewer tax hikes, it looks like the sign is that progressives are going to be on the losing end of this. But I would just say when I listened to Nancy Pelosi today, I heard something of a conflict between her letter and then what she talked about today versus the shortening the timeline. How so so? I'm okay. not, so in well, other words, yeah. go to the, 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 the timeline for money on each issue as opposed to getting rid of entire policies. That's right. And those are two completely different approaches. You shorten yeah. that timeline. You know, you can still have a lot 
in there, a lot of programs built, but they'll just be there for a shorter time versus what the moderates seem to be inclined to do, which is do a few things that the Democrats could say, look, it, we got you that, you know, child tax credit. We got you paid family leave. Those mm-hmm. are big programs that they could run on versus we threw in the kitchen sink, but we did it for four years as opposed to 10. Amy Tarkanian, what do Republicans prefer on this? If you shorten the timeline on some of these issues, it could make mm-hmm. them easier to kill or more difficult, I should say, to renew in a couple of years' time, as opposed to getting rid of entire issues. What makes it easier on the other side of the aisle as they look forward, I'm presuming, to dismantling whatever gets passed? Sure. Well, Republicans would prefer to approach these uh, topics, these issues that the Democrats would like to see passed Um, one by one, as opposed to everything uh, into one giant conglomerate of a bill. Uh, Now, Speaker Pelosi is actually approaching this um, in in a very uh, intelligent way, because just like Jeannie mentioned, you have the progressives that are trying to make the giant push, and they want to have something successful to take home with them for their reelection. And it seems that the more moderates are now in control and that's not going to be the case. So they're going to have to do some give and take. And so in order to get anything passed to take home for, for a trophy uh, or a win, um, they are going to have to compromise. And I know that can be a dirty word, but they are going to have to compromise. <laughs> and even if Speaker Pelosi shortens the amount of time, yeah. let's be honest here. Historically, once an entitlement program is implemented, it rarely gets terminated. It will just be extended. So this would actually be a win still in the end okay. for the Democrats. Understood. Who's actually in control, though, Jeannie? I mean, moderates are cranking down the price tag, but progressives led President Biden back to the idea of tying infrastructure and reconciliation together. They did. But, you know, the real people in control here are cinema and mansion or any one of these senators it just happens to be them those are moderates they are in control and let's just say what is fueling this fear amongst progressives is this sort of idea that they have one bite at the apple this is it they have to go big or go home that is realistic way to view this but on the other hand you have moderates saying if we can do one thing well and bring it home we have a chance to hold this house hold Mm -hmm. the senate next time around those are a you know both (laughs) very very, very real predicaments that they're in and the viewpoints, you can't argue with either of them. I want to ask you both about the tax question then. If the price tag ends up being below three and a half trillion dollars, should the tax hikes also be smaller? Should there be entire tax hikes or tax adjustments eliminated as part of this conversation? Because, Amy, they won't be needed. Um, well, I, I highly doubt that the Democrats will say that they won't be needed. So that's too cute for you. <laughs> Yeah, um, but but I, I do believe that there needs to be some type of reform in place because you're still going to have uh, the loopholes for the rich. Uh, the Democrats like to say, hey, we need to tax the rich. They need to pay their fair share. However, there are still write-offs um, that are allowed. There are still loopholes that are allowed. And so it just sounds like like we are doing something important and making it a fair playing field when in reality it's, it's smoke and mirrors. Isn't that a political win for Democrats if they can actually pass this genie, be able to turn around and say, you know what, we didn't get everything we asked for, but we also didn't hike taxes as much as you worried, whether that was for families making over $400,000 a year or even for businesses. Let's say we end up with something 25% or lower on the corporate tax rate. 
Well, the way progressives in particular, but I think many Democrats will look at this is, you know, we heard this from Bernie Sanders tax advisor. If you change the tax code, you know, you have that corporate tax hike, the individual tax hike, so yeah. on and so forth. But you do not change the fact that the incredibly wealthy are still effectively paying zero. Mm -hmm. They sure. have not done their job. And so that is going to be the crux of this for progressives. It's not enough just to say we didn't raise taxes or we did what we needed to do. If you still have, you know, the extremely wealthy not paying anything, that's a fundamental problem for most Democrats. There's no point to wait on the midterms. With the debate over the debt ceiling, infrastructure, the sweeping Biden economic agenda all raging within the Democratic Party, it's already laying the foundation for 2022. And Bloomberg Businessweek national political correspondent Josh Green gets to the heart of the story, the tensions that exist now, by bringing us back to the campaign. When Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez spurns reporters' efforts, he writes to sow division and falls behind centrist Joe Biden on the calculation that they would fare better with one of their own in the White House. Consolidate. Fast forward to today and listen to Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, we have some important decisions to make in the next few days so that we can proceed. Uh, I'm, I'm very disappointed that we're not going with the original $3.5 trillion, which was very transformative. It's time to start slimming down and making the hard decisions, she says. Josh Green is with us now. So what happened to that early calculation, Josh? Well, I don't think anybody knows. I mean, until the two parties can come to some kind of agreement, um, there's really no clarity at all. I mean, I think that was reflected in Pelosi's quote just there. Was everyone wrong, though, that kind of one side would lean on the other? We've got a promise for infrastructure if you give me this promise for reconciliation, and we all kind of prop each other up. How come that hasn't happened? Well, it's, it's a plan that worked well in theory that neither side would get what they wanted unless they accommodated the other side. Um, yes. And as I write in, in Business Week, one of, the, one of the driving forces behind the belief that this strategy would work was looking at the last two times that Democrats had a new president in the White House and control of both houses of Congress. That was in 1994 uh, when they failed to pass uh, Hillary Care, the health care plan. And then yep. again in 2010 when they failed to pass Obama's cap and trade plan. And both times uh, the Democrats experienced a midterm wipeout after the failure of that legislation. So I think that history led a lot of people on both sides to believe, well, look, we may not know the contours of a deal quite yet, what the final numbers will be, what will mm -hmm. be in there. But the one thing that we can all agree on is that we can't possibly fail because that would be such a terrible outcome. And now I think, as I write in the piece, um, I think Democrats need to think hard um, about whether they'll be able to pull something out um, because the process, the strategy that Pelosi and both sides had laid out, where each side would give something to the other, um, at least at this point, uh, has broken down. That was a bold calculation for a party with such a razor-thin majority. As you do point back, Josh, Clinton demurred referring to uh, the health care bill, and Democrats went on to lose 54 House seats and eight Senate seats. They fared no better in 2010. People forget, losing 63 House seats, Josh reminds us, and seven Senate seats in what Obama aptly characterized as a shellacking 
Is there a plan for that in the Obama White House? Um, well, the Obama White House is all done. Sorry, let's call that the Biden White House. It, and there doesn't seem to be a plan for it in the Biden White House. I mean, that would, those numbers uh, would be shocking uh, to this administration if it happened now, would it not? Well, I think the parties are more polarized now than they were 10 years ago, and there are fewer swing seats at play. Yeah. So it would certainly be shocking if there were losses of that magnitude. But I think the important point that you made earlier was that there don't need to be losses of that magnitude in order for Democrats to lose their governing majority. It is razor thin as it stands now. And if you look at public approval of Biden, if you look at public approval of Democrats in Congress and the fact that uh, their their agenda has bogged down. Uh, a lot of experts think that expect Democrats to lose the House next year and maybe the Senate, too. Um, I think one of the reasons driving that alarm, if you talk to Democrats on Capitol Hill, is that the Biden administration really doesn't seem to have a clear plan for how they're going to bring this reconciliation bill about. Biden says... Uh, courted uh, Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, the two Democratic holdouts. It's still not clear at this date what exactly it is that they want and they don't want. And until there's some kind of clarity, uh, it's hard to see how these negotiations go forward. Yeah. And therefore, as I argue in Business Week, I think we're really going to have to look at the serious possibility that this entire thing falls apart, that Democrats get nothing. And if indeed that does wind up being the case, what history says that that's going to uh, lead to next year when voters go to the polls. Talking to Josh Green on Bloomberg Sound On, you point to the September 22nd Gallup poll in which President Biden's approval rating fell to only 43 percent, the lowest point of his eight-month presidency. His approval rating among independents has fallen 24 points since January to 37 percent. If you're a member of the House or the Senate right now, Josh, does your fate uh, depend upon the Biden agenda? I think it does. Uh, certainly, if you're, if you're in a swing district or a competitive district, uh, historically, members of Congress, when they come up for re-election um, and a president of their party is in the White House, tend to succeed or fail based on how the public feels about how that president is doing. And for a variety of reasons, certainly not limited to the reconciliation bill, but the ongoing COVID surge, the fights over the debt ceiling, um, you know, the, the inflation in various parts of the economy. I think there's a general sense out there among a lot of voters, including voters who voted for Biden, um, that they had hoped that there would be a, a sea change in, in Washington after Donald Trump left the White House. And, you know, right now, today, I think to a lot of people, it feels as though there hasn't been and they're expressing their disapproval in these polls. Uh, I think that that actually, though, is a reason uh, why Democrats uh, might want to get together and negotiate harder on this reconciliation. Yeah. Bill Maybe it's a motivator. Bloomberg uh, Businessweek uh, National Political Correspondent Josh Green. Really smart piece. You can find it on the terminal. And, Josh, we do thank you for your insights. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. But what if Democrats got it all done? Imagine a world with infrastructure, childcare, expanded Medicare, universal pre-K, maybe free community college, all passing along with smaller than feared tax hikes to pay for it all. Could the conventional wisdom just be wrong? Democrats end up adding to their majority in the midterms, realizing it would turn history on its head. We turn back to the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributor 
Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, Republican strategist Amy Tarkani, and former chair of the Nevada State GOP. Jeannie, if a midterm bloodbath, as we just discussed with Josh Green, would be the result from getting nothing done here, why wouldn't the opposite be true and Democrats pick up seats by passing the Biden agenda and doing what they set out to do? Well, they are probably listening and just loving your rosy picture, Joe. Um, you, I just you know, wondered, is one hap- <laughs> if one happens, why doesn't the opposite scenario take place if things actually become law? Well, there's, you know, the reality is certainly anything could happen, but the best we can do is look back at recent history, as you were talking about with Josh, and that doesn't seem to happen. Um, You know, and there's several factors. I'll just give you one. We've just gone through a census. We've got about three quarters of the state legislatures controlled by Republicans who are in charge in many instances of reapportionment. Those gerrymandering reapportioned districts will have an impact. And since this is such a razor thin majority, Majority on the part of the Democrats, any small changes like that could make a huge impact, almost regardless of what you're talking about. You know, are they able to go big um, yeah. in terms of getting their their policies agenda passed? So certainly it would help to get everything they want passed. Um, but that is a, you know, a, a big if. And certainly that's probably not going to happen. Amy, I think Jeannie just did your work for you. Yeah, I know. That that was great. Um, she hit the nail on the head in a number of areas. And um, I actually I looked in, into the breakdown of what's coming up um, as far as the Senate. We've got 34 total seats that are up in this next election. 14 of those are Democrat, 20 are Republican. And of course, as we just saw in 2020 special elections, both Arizona and Georgia were flipped from red to blue, um, which was unexpected. And if you go back even prior to that, 2016, you had Illinois and New Hampshire also flipped from red to blue. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see, since we're still neck and neck in the Senate, um, so to speak, on how, how much uh, this will affect uh, the upcoming elections uh, as far as what is actually passed, um, even if it's just uh, portions of what the Democrat wish list is, um, if it moves forward, will be interesting because of all of the other problems that are going on. So if you do decide to raise taxes on top of the inflation increasing, um, and it's not going down anytime soon, that's probably going to hurt Democrats. So they need to be very careful on which areas they decide to push forward in yep when they throw the spaghetti at the wall, so to speak. And then as far as uh, in the House of Representatives out of the 435, well, we know they're all up. But Democrats lost seats in this last election where the GOP gained. Uh, Now, Democrats still have a slight lead, but, you know, it's once again, I I think it's going to be a toss-up and a very close one, a slim margin. And I think Democrats know that, and that's why, they are scrambling to throw everything but the kitchen sink. Yeah, of course, we're talking about the economic agenda. We're talking about infrastructure and and reconciliation, the Biden economic agenda, as opposed to the social issues that are also going to be a big part of the midterms. And a lot of them are challenging for the administration. Uh, I'm thinking about a lot of things here from LGBTQ to COVID. As I read the headline, on the terminal today, this was a big one. The news from Texas I'd like to ask you both about. Texas governor blocks vaccine mandates by private employers. Joe Carroll writes, Governor Greg Abbott outlawed vaccine mandates in the second largest U.S. state, setting the stage for a showdown with the federal government in Washington. Jeannie, when 
President Biden was asked about the potential for legal challenges, if not a legal mess, following his executive order to mandate private employers with 100 employees or more require vaccines or weekly testing. He said, have at it. Is he going to get what he asked for? You know, I think it's so interesting. I'm so glad you raised these social issues because I, to a large extent, think that what Abbott has done in Texas actually helps the Democrats. What kind of Republican conservative strategy is it to tell private corporations what they can and can't do? That doesn't sound like traditional conservatism to me. And you look at other social issues like abortion. I have long said that the best thing that can happen to Democrats in this midterm is is, uh, Donald Trump keeps talking and and they keep talking about abortion and Abbott and these, you know, some of these conservative Republican governors keep acting against conservative values that will help gin up turnout amongst Democrats. And, you know, you know, Amy raised the Georgia flip from red to blue. I believe that that would not have happened had Donald Trump not been on the top of that ballot. And so those kinds of things help Democrats. And I think that is something that we need to keep in mind. Well, Jen Psaki was asked about this uh, today, that the Texas uh, governor in the White House press briefing. Here's what she said. Well, I know uh, world-renowned business, travel, and health expert Senator Ted Cruz has made that point, but um, I wouldn't say that that is widely um, uh, acknowledged or echoed. Uh, by um, business leaders who have implemented these mandates, uh, by health experts who have conveyed the way to get out of the pandemic is to uh, ensure that we are doing exactly the steps the president has announced and we are working to implement. She was asked about Ted Cruz commenting on on whether uh, people were not returning to work in part because of vaccine mandates, kind of the opposite of what Democrats have been saying. And then I find the headline on the terminal, American Southwest, the airlines here, abide by Biden vaccine order and defy Texas. This is a major development here as American Airlines, the biggest U.S. airline, number four Southwest, will follow Joe Biden's mandate requiring that employees be vaccinated, defying the order from the Texas governor blocking such actions. Amy, this doesn't necessarily play well for the governor of a state that does a lot of business and is uh, the hub to a lot of major airlines here. Is Greg Abbott weighing into deep waters here, or does this play well for his own local politics? Uh, I think both. Um, Both American and Southwest have made the statement that uh, basically the Biden administration's demands will supersede Greg Abbott's order. And so they're going to move forward with the federal law. And if Greg Abbott decides to take this to court, then, you know, it it will um, have to unfold and play out there. Is that what made it Uh, easy for him to do this, though, knowing that the federal mandate would would blanket whatever he comes up with? So you may as well get the headline in the paper. I would think so, because let's touch back on the abortion issue, which I think was a poorly written um, uh, law. And and I think it was poorly written um, on purpose. And it was a way for uh, Greg Abbott and those who are pro-life, and I am pro-life, but to kind of, um, I guess, make their stance, but then end up uh, getting it overturned in the end because it was so poorly written. I mean, it's ludicrous to sit there and say that you can go ahead and sue private entities, you know, or, or private um, participants uh, for, for, you know, taking somebody to get an abortion and even somebody like an Uber driver. I mean, that's ludicrous. 
Um, so I, I agree with Jeannie once again, and I'm, I'm sorry that we're not, you know, butting heads, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I agree that that was um, intentional. That was, yeah. That's my feeling, and so I bringing, do also agree that it helps Democrats. We're bringing both sides together here, Jeannie. I guess, yeah, Amy's just uh, serving it right back to you here. This ends up playing well for Democrats. Let's say this gets bogged up, uh, bogged down, I should say, in court leading up to the midterms. Maybe that's something that Joe Biden and the White House would like to see. It is. And they can consistently make the case um, that most thinking people realize, which is that to beat the pandemic, people must be vaccinated if they are able and it's within their religious, you know, with this, it's within their religion, you know, except with those exceptions. And um, he needs to keep hammering that because it is reckless to suggest otherwise. And most thinking people understand that. And let's not forget, there was a time in which the GOP and conservatives were friendly to business. But you look at what Abbott is doing, outlawing them or, or saying they can't have a vaccine mandate and you've got, you know, American and Southwest bucking up against that, that doesn't bode well for moderate conservatives. And it is the moderates on both the Democratic and Republican side that will decide this race. So the more that you push against independents and moderates, the better it is for the other side. And in this case, it's better for Democrats. Amy, this is our final minute of the program here. How would you have answered that question if you were Jen Psaki? Do vaccine mandates keep people out of the workplace? Um, well, it, it actually, it, that's a tough question to answer because it's a yes and no. It, it should be, like Governor Abbott said, voluntary and never forced. Um, however, uh, you know, he's also he's also uh, damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, because if you are a private entity, you are allowed to ask of your employees um, certain certain things. And if one of them is a vaccine mandate and that is your job, yeah. I, you know, for one, I find it difficult to, to say as a Republican, just like Jeannie said, that as a private business, you you can't tell me what to do. Well, well it helps can. to blunt the argument that Democrats have been making that nobody's coming back because they're afraid of COVID. Ted Cruz says, no, they're afraid of mandates. Hold that thought. We'll update you on the debt ceiling tomorrow. God knows we'll figure something out here as we return on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.